This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hi, I'm Ashtra Zubkovs, the Communications Coordinator at the Rappaport Center for Law and Public Service here at Suffolk University Law School, and this is the Rappaport Center's podcast series. We're talking today with FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn. Commissioner Clyburn was nominated for a seat on the Federal Communications Commission by President Barack Obama on June 25, 2009. She was unanimously confirmed by the United States Senate in July 2009 and sworn in as Commissioner in August 2009. Commissioner Clyburn has a long history of public service and dedication to the public interest, and we're happy to have her with us today. She's here with us following the Massachusetts Broadband Conference we're hosting here at Suffolk University Law School with the Massachusetts Department of Telecommunication and Cable and other great partners. The conference today largely focused on the importance of broadband connectivity for economic development, specifically touched upon ideas such as sustainable adoption, digital literacy programs, and how broadband infrastructure expansion projects have a positive effect on economic growth and employment. So welcome, Commissioner Clyburn. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here today. So coming right off the topic of our conversation that you were just the keynote speaker for, you are an outspoken champion for the need to get broadband into more homes, anchor institutions, and public places. Can you speak a little bit to how that goal is being actualized, and is the FCC leading the charge? I say that the FCC is definitely leading the charge, but I want to affirm that we're doing this in partnership with our state members, with private industry, because we know we can't do it alone. We're talking and we're focusing about the 18 million Americans who do not have broadband at home. They don't have the ability, even if they want it, even if they could afford it. They do not have the physical means. They're not connected. And so the vote in which we took, which was October 27th, was significant in a whole lot of ways. You got a unanimous commission saying, we recognize that the way we communicate has evolved. It is not just plain old telephone service, that it is broadband, broadband, broadband. And so in terms of where we send the public funds, where we target monies, it has to go also to recognize the needs of how Americans communicate, and that's through emerging broadband technologies. It's through mobile technologies, and that is where the money is following. Mm, definitely. You were speaking on the panel about your trip to Africa mm -hmm. for international regulator meetings twice during your two-plus years at the commission. In addition to learning about how other countries oversee their telecommunications and technology, industries, what else did you take back from the continent? I recognize that assumptions should not be made by and about a people. One of the reasons why those types of, especially mobile technologies, took a long time to get to Africa is because they said, well, those people cannot afford it. Well, those people who they made assumptions that who could not afford it are adopting and are paying for these technologies at the tune of 50 plus percent of their population. I had the opportunity to go to six nations in Africa, on the West Coast and on the East Coast and South Africa. And what I am seeing is the only structure or the only industry in some of those nations where there is incredible growth is mobile. And so you see the billboards in one of the nations that I saw were 100% mobile. And so when you've got this growth, when you've got this enthusiasm, and you've got people who want to be able to communicate, they want to communicate with their loved ones, they want to be safe and let people know if they're not safe, they want to be able to connect to the world in order to not only be able to talk, but to be able to have healthcare engagement, educational engagement, to do it affordably. These lessons, these things that I saw, 
our affirmations back home, that we in those areas that are hardest to serve, look at what's going on in Africa, and there are affordable means to do so. And so that's why these lessons, when you travel abroad and when you see how people are connecting themselves, those are the lessons that I've learned. And so we need to be innovative. We can connect those last 18 million with high-speed internet access, and we're going to do that. And you can kind of see that in some of the harder-to-reach communities here in the States, they are going to a mobile phone type of technology rather than computers in many areas. And you're talking about affordability. Sometimes people can only choose one. So they might not have a landline at home, a phone at home. They might not be able to afford a laptop. So they've got this mobile device where it might be their sole means of communications. So one of the challenges that we have is to ensure that we push those companies, that we have the policies in place to encourage those companies to make that device be all that it can be for that consumer. Mm -hmm. That might be that consumer's one and only shot at connectivity. A lot of our listeners are law students, so maybe we can bring it back a little bit. And so you came from a state utility commission, and prior to that you owned and operated a small local newspaper. Can you tell us how those experiences have shaped you, how they relate to your role as a federal regulator and any other of your history of how you got to where you are today? You hear a lot of us in regulation use this phrase that not having a one-size-fits-all approach. I come not only from a state commission or regulatory standpoint, I come from a very rural state. And I know that the concerns, that the approaches, that the policies that work in Boston may not work in Charleston, South Carolina, or where my mother is from, Monk's Corner, South Carolina, that nobody may have heard of. Trust me, it is a rural community. And so when it has helped me, I think, be a better regulator to know that we need to have policies that have enough dexterity, that give us enough wiggle room to adapt to the differences in our communities that make us great, that make us strong, but there are differences that have to be addressed. And so we can't not take a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think my regulatory background has reaffirmed that. Any advice for if there's any students listening about if they want to take your type of path or if they want to be impacting legislation around these issues? I believe that a lot of people have negative things to say about what they call a revolving door between the private sector and the regulatory experience of worlds. I say forget about that. I think that the private sector is a good training ground for public utility experience, and I think the public sector is a great training ground for private experiences. If we have those synergies, again, working in in concert, we get the best of all worlds, whether you're in regulation, whether you decide to become a public service, which I've been a public servant for a long time. I'm going to be an advocate. But we need good, solid people out there making good decisions in private industry. So I said Revolve, revolve, revolve. (laughs) What can we look for from you in the coming months? Is there anything that you are going to direct a dedicated amount of energy towards? A lot of my personal passion has always been, and you will hear more in the coming months, has been about looking at this market, this communication space, as it relates to the diversity or lack thereof. Women make up 50% plus in this nation. I know there are buttons that say 51, that 50% is a plus. But when you look at the communication space, when you look at boards of directors, when you look at the Fortune 500 leadership, and when you look at pay scales, 
there's a lack of parity in all of those sectors. And so you're going to hear my office speaking more to that and trying to come up with creative ways because a lot of your listeners will know that there are laws in place that we cannot be explicit as we want. You know, you cannot say we're going to use race-specific without quantifiable data. So we're hoping to come with creative ways to address these issues because our diversity is our strength, and the way we approach the communication space and the policies and the space as it relates to content, Mm -hmm. it's important that it's reflective of America. I think we're stronger by it. I think we're stronger if we pay people in terms of parity, that there should not be these differentials for doing the same work. And so you're going to hear us speak more and more about that. It's stretching our wings a bit, but we think it's important to ensure that this ecosystem not only reflects what's best in America, but that those who participate in it are compensated equally. It's been a pleasure having you here today for the conference and for our podcast. Pleasure is all mine. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking with us. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.